Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest has been producing, directing, and developing unscripted series for nearly 20 years. Before becoming vice president of current programming at Original Productions, she produced almost every genre of nonfiction across multiple networks and digital platforms, including CBS, Fox, Bravo, Netflix, Oxygen, TLC, MTV, E, VH1, HGTV, DirecTV, CNBC, and CMT. She was the recipient of the Women's Image Award for Best Outstanding Reality Series with Funny Girls, which portrays the plight of female comics working in a male-dominated industry. Meredith also co-created the first fully self-shot coming-of-age reality drama, Lago Vista, that focuses on issues of gender identity while helping to redefine the all-American teen. Now at OP, she continues her passion of telling authentically unique stories while pushing the boundaries of traditional unscripted frameworks. Meredith, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. You have so many good stories. I'm so excited to get into it. But before we dive into everything, let's take it back to childhood. What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I've always known that I wanted to make TV since I was 10. But before wow. before that, I wanted to be a blacksmith. I wanted to oh. make shoes for horses <laughs> and like be an iron worker and work with my hands and be artistic and gritty. <laughs> Amazing. I, I like always pictured myself as like some like old timey blacksmith <laughs> with like black smeared across my face and like big muscles that was just like pounding away at the iron. That was my dream when I was like six. Where did that come from? I feel like I didn't even know what a blacksmith did at that I age. Think <laughs> because my parents, all they took me to the, like the Renaissance Festival was like oh. the, the biggest thing ever. It's like you know, we looked forward to it every year. And I think there was like an attraction at the fair where it was like you could go in and people were making like they were like ironworking. Okay. And probably had like in my mind, like my very faulty memory, I'm sure. I'm like <laughs> looking at a sign that it was like blacksmith 1800s or something like that. So that's probably where I got it from. And I went in there and I was like, oh, I want to do that. That's what <laughs> I want to do. Amazing. Yeah. You grew up in Michigan, right? And now you're in L.A.? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I grew up in, yeah, in Elm Park, Melvindale area. Talk us through childhood of cross growing up in the Midwest is completely different than I'm sure life in LA, but mm-hmm. at what point, you know, walking through high school after high school, and then where did that kind of change into doing what you're doing today? Yeah. Like grew up, like I said, in Allen Park, Melvindale, I went to Melvindale schools and it was great. I was like looking back at my experience in childhood, like I wouldn't have changed, you know, where I grew up at all. Like I love, you know, where I came from. I'm still super, super close to everybody back home. And like your accent is bringing me back. It's making me so nostalgic. My mind is buried deep inside. So it'll probably come out during this because during I'm with you. But no, I loved I loved every minute of it. Well, not every minute of it, but I loved it. And like in high school, I was very, I think, like attention seeking. And I was a very like free spirit. I was like always wanting to be known for being like the weird one, you know, like that was like really important to me. <laughs> Your vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was very much my vibe. And I think that still is like that's still there, but I'm much more calm. Like I was very like look at me, look at me, look at me. My husband always makes fun of me. And he says that I'm like Kathleen Turner in, um, not Kathleen Turner. Oh my God. Kathy Bates. Yes. In the water boy, the mom, she's the mom. <laughs> and she's like, just like dancing behind the camera, trying to get noticed while her son is like, you know, in the spotlight. And I was like, yeah, that's accurate. That's me. That was definitely <laughs> me in high school. <laughs> 
But I had a great high school experience. I left Melvinville and went to Bowling Green and did college there. And that was amazing. And that really like set me on my path. You know, when I was a kid, I would watch the Golden Girls and I would be like jealous that I didn't like think of those jokes. You know what I mean? I would be like, oh, I'm stealing that. I'm using that. This is my new identity. And then like as the years went by, like Golden Girls was super influential. And then it was Cheers. And then it was Frasier. And then it was MTV's The State. There was a show called The State on MTV. And then it was Mr. Show and HBO. So like throughout the years, like I was always influenced by TV, specifically comedy growing up. So I knew that I wanted to do that. Whatever that meant, like it's such a nebulous thing producing, you know, so it's like hard for me to know what it was growing up. So when I went to school, like I was like video production, that's my major. And then I never looked back. Incredible. So then when you graduate from college, when did you move to LA? I know Allison told me a little bit, but yeah, where were you like LA? This is where I'm going to go. And obviously makes sense being in the field you're in, but that's a huge, I'm sure culture shock too. growing up Midwest and then going to school in the Midwest and then just completely different setting across the United States. Yeah. So I graduated and then I moved to, it took me like five years to graduate college for forever. Mm -hmm. Graduated, I think in December of 2000 three. And then I moved to LA January 16th, 2004. I mean, it was, but honestly, like I am like the, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I'm a Gemini or what it is, but (laughs) I just want change all the time. Like I am such a fidgety person and I'm always like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And so for me, it definitely wasn't seamless, but I loved it. I loved the challenge of it. I loved the change. I loved the shock of it. I liked figuring out, you know, when I first moved, I was not like in love with it. Oh, I'm sure. I was not in love with LA at all. I was like not really exposed to, um, all I knew was Hollywood. So I like went from living in Michigan and Ohio where I went to school and then going to LA. And I was like, well, you know, like I'm not really big into like this Hollywood scene and I'm not like, you know, I'm still kind of like a hardened Detroiter, which I'm not anymore. Like I think at heart I am, but I'm so <laughs> sauced. Like it is, I don't know, probably 68 degrees right now outside and I'm like freezing all the time. (laughs) But I was like, oh, you know, like I'm not into like this super like celebrity scene or these like pretentious like clubs or whatever that I was like, that's all I kind of knew until I started exploring the city and realizing that the city is so special because there's a little place for everybody here. You know, I don't have to live in the heart of Hollywood. I can live on the outskirts. I can live like you know, in this area of town that's like super artistic, you know, musicians live in this area or whatever. And are, all the artists are over here. And this is a super kind of artsy neighborhood. And those are the places where I really thrive. And I realized that like what's so special about L.A. and like what so completely different from Detroit and no offense to Detroit because I'm so much perhaps the spirit of Detroit is like still what drives me in my soul and the people and the perseverance and all that stuff from Detroit is so special. But there's not a lot of like, follow your dreams at any cost in Detroit. And that's what I needed to be around. I needed that energy of like people coming out here and like starving people coming out here and not being able to afford food or gas or whatever, because they were trying to write their script or because they're trying to become an actor or because they were trying to become a producer like me or whatever it is, they come out here to follow their dreams, even though maybe it's 
a long shot, even though, you know, they're competing against a million other people who are doing the same thing. And it could be a one in a million shot. They're still out here doing it. And that to me is what I fell in love with about the city. And even still, 20 years later, I'm here. I'm still feeding off that energy and hopefully contributing to it a little bit too. Yes, I'm guaranteeing you're contributing for it. Just your high energy already from meeting you. Yes, I I can say, I think reasonably can say you are. But I don't want to say like, what was your big break? But you get out to LA, you're wanting to get into producing, directing, and your whole list of all the ones I read from your bio of all these awesome things you've worked on. Walk us through, you were in LA. When was like, I guess I'll say the big break or got you really involved in this into where you are today? I know that's probably like five podcasts worth of things, but. Okay, well, I'll give you the condensed version. The show notes. Yeah. So I cheated a little bit. I did not cheated, but like in my storytelling from earlier, when I was in college, I was given the opportunity. One of my mentors in school was good friends with somebody who was like a VP at E-Entertainment. So they had put together this internship program for five of the telecommunications students. And so we had to like audition for it and like have all these like series of interviews and stuff like that. And they chose five of us to go. And I was lucky enough to get chosen. And that was my big break, honestly. So like I am so eternally grateful for the, the entire telecommunications department at Bowling Green State University and for giving me this opportunity. But I went out to L.A., at some point in during my like junior year of college for the summer and I interned and I interned at E and I was determined to like use that as my like foot in the door. So even though I went back to school in Ohio and I finished school the next January, I came back out. I didn't have a place. I didn't have a job. I had literally no money. I had borrowed money from my friend Jen to rent a U-Haul to like drive all my stuff out there with me and my dog. And then I got to L.A. I had an apartment, but it was like the landlord was like a slumlord. And it was like deep in Reseda. It was really gnarly. And it wasn't ready for me when he said it was going to be ready for me. So I had to live in my (laughs) U-Haul for like a week or something. So I didn't know really what to do, but I had my dog and I had all my stuff. And I was like, okay, so the first thing I'm going to do, because I was like eating, like I had packed a bunch of like canned food or whatever. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to get a job like right away because I don't even have a place to live at this point. And like my U-Haul is only going to like continue to like cost me money. So I went into the E-Building, drove up with my U-Haul that was like trailing my car. (laughs) And I went into the E-Building and I was like to HR and I was like, hey, so I interned here last summer and I'm now out here. I'm wondering if you have any production assistant jobs. And they were like, yes, actually, we just had somebody who like left for the Army Reserves. You can start on Monday. And I was like, holy shit. It's like, it was back in the day. Like, I don't feel like this doesn't happen anymore. But E was like also functioning as like a full service production company. It's a network, but also like, it's like making TV in-house. So they had like a gym in the building and they had like all this stuff. And it was like resources galore. So I was able to like shower at the gym downstairs. I was able to like, you know, steal toilet paper and bagels <laughs> from the kitchen. And like, I live until I got paid, like I lived off of e-entertainment for like two weeks or a month or however long it took for me to get paid. And so that's how I got started. And so I think what really changed my course of like the trajectory of my career, because my goal was to be in scripted comedy. Like I thought that I was going to come out here, be a writer and maybe get 
some on-camera work as like a comedic actor, but really I wanted to produce scripted comedy. And so, I'm, but I was working at E! Entertainment and that's like, you know, magazine television, right? It's tabloid TV. Back then it's definitely, that's what it was. It was like a bunch of clip shows, like, you know, Britney Spears and Mariah Carey and whatever. So I did some of those shows and then I was offered a job on a show called Dr. 90210. So this is 2004. It's like a plastic surgery reality show. And this is like before reality TV was really a thing. You know, we had road rules and the Anna Nicole show and real world and maybe Idol. I think American Idol was out. So there yes. were some like unscripted programming, but it wasn't, you know, monolith. It wasn't like the beast that it is today. So I was like, that sounds totally interesting. And of course, why wouldn't I do that? And what ended up happening is, you know, I worked a season on it. After that season aired, the network started getting like letters that they shared, um, emails that they shared with the team. And they were saying like, oh my goodness, like I have all these problems. We did a lot of pro bono on the show, the doctor did. And so they would say like, oh, I have this same issue and I never knew that there was help for me. And like, now I feel like I'm not so alone. And I started feeling really good because I thought that we were just making stupid shit for people to like, <laughs> you know, veg out on. And like, it was exciting for me in that way, but I didn't think we were doing good in the world. And I realized I was like, oh, well, we're telling stories about real people. So of course, like people are going to be watching and relating to it. And I really had a moment of like, I want to chase that feeling. And so I did no another like five seasons of that show. I think I told you this story before. There was a fork in the road at one point where I had the opportunity to go into comedy and I didn't and I stayed here, but I had an audition to be like a punker on that show, Punked, like some, like Jack Shepard's <laughs> character, you yes. know? <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, oh, this is exactly the break that I wanted to get when I came out to LA. And so it was at noon one day, I think it was a Friday afternoon. And I was planning to go to this audition and my boss called like a mandatory, like impromptu meeting at noon that day. And I was such a people pleaser. I'm still in recovery with that. But like, I was <laughs> such a people pleaser back then. I was like, I can't say no. Like I could never say no, especially when it came to work. I was like, oh God, like I have to be like, um, I, people have to think that I'm responsible, like all of this stuff. And so I had to make a decision. Was I going to like say no and, and like miss the meeting? Or was I going to go do this audition that you know, I probably couldn't reschedule. So I called them, asked if I could reschedule. They said no. And so I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to like miss this because I have another thing. So it really sucked. And then I went to this meeting and the meeting was like a little party to like a surprise party for me because I was being promoted. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I guess this is good. So, <laughs> you know, I was a little bit bummed, but really like my life, I think, had I gone to the audition and gotten that part, like would have been, my life would have been completely different. So, and I'm grateful for the path that I went on. I love those small, weird instances where it's like, what would have happened? And I loved when you told me that story when we first talked, because it's like something so small, like what if you didn't get promoted that specific day? And just, it's crazy how the world works. So you get this promotion and I want to talk through, because of course I have to ask this because I'm sure people listening are wondering the same thing, but what are your favorite things to work on now? I know we talked a little bit about the Paris Hilton kind of like docuseries that's been going on that you, you told me that awesome story about if you want to share that, but what's been your favorite thing to work on or what are you really passionate about working on now? I love telling stories about people. So documentaries, docuseries, anything that is kind of like 
authentic stories about real people is what I like to go for. So there's so many different genres within like the unscripted banner where it's like, you know, you can do competition, you can do dating, uh, you can do format, you know, like house renovation and stuff like that. So there's all of these different kind of categories. But then there's docu-series and docu-series are more of like, they're not formatted and they're difficult. They're hard to go for season after season after season. You know, there are a few shows that do like, you know, back in the day, personally knows best went forever. But that was very like scripted, right? That was like soft scripted show. And it was like, everybody like leaned into that. For me, I like to do shows that um, my goal and I think like one of my greatest achievements and like feats of producing of my career was I did a show where every scene of the whole series, except for one, except for one scene, every conversation that was had on camera was had for the first time, which is a big deal because when you're producing a show, usually you have to plan everything beforehand because logistically you just can't like wait for story to happen because you're not shooting 24-7 for an indefinite amount of time. You know, you have to stick to a super tight budget, super strict schedule. So you have to produce it and you have to go in knowing what you're going to shoot. That means like spending hours and hours and hours and weeks and weeks with the cast beforehand, learning about them and figuring out like, what are the stories here? What is going on in, in your life? And then you recreate moments on camera or you prep them with what the scenes are going to be about based on what's going on in their lives. And it sucks because, you know, it never reads as authentic, which is why reality TV, I think, gets like a bad reputation a lot of times for all being fake, which, yes, a lot of times it is. A lot of times it unintentionally is. But on the show, it was so important to me. It was sensitive subject matter. It was about a family who had like recently blended, they had lost their spouses tragically and they had a lot of children and they were blending. So there was grief, there was the shock of like, you know, blending, there was like extended family strife that was, you know, all kind of playing in in a very relatable way, right? It's exactly what would happen if any family in the entire world did this. This is what would happen. All very relatable stuff. And it was super important to me to be authentic and true and for the audience to watch the show and not feel like anything was being produced or, or, or fake. That to me is my goal on every show. Um, and it's really, really hard to do. And usually it's not doable. And on this show, it was for the most part. It was really exciting for me. That's the kind of show that I want to do is documentary style TV that is super true to the cast and is as authentic as possible. They gives people when they're watching, it gives them permission to like be vulnerable because they're seeing somebody on TV being vulnerable. And so that's what I love about it. I love that. Now, I'm sure there's so many things. I mean, I know there's so many things that go into making something successful or anything like that. But what are some things behind the scenes that viewers may not realize goes into a show or into the whole production directing? I mean, you have so many facets and I could ask you 5,000 questions about this, but what are some things that you know, us that love these docu-series don't realize goes into it or some like some things that may have been shocking to you getting into this industry? I mean, the entire process and like the amount of just work and pain and blood and sweat and tears that goes (laughs) into it, it is actually kind of like unbelievable. But I think something that would be like surprising, um, gosh, my ADHD brain is like <laughs> Story not my functioning life. <laughs> right now, like trying to think of it. Um, I think the, the amount of work that goes into it and the amount, the sheer volume of the number of people that are behind the camera that are making things 
work, the amount of time that it takes before the camera starts rolling to like prepare the show and to get things ready. I think probably what's the most surprising element to somebody who's not in it is the editorial process is the editing process is absolutely grueling where the show is made and both aspects of it shooting in the field and uh, being on set and then being in post they're both obviously super important but but the show is made in post and that process of editing one episode is months and months of you know piecing little pieces of the story together it's a real art that happens in that edit bay between the story producer the you know supervising and executive producers and the editors in in collaboration in partnership with the network there's so much that goes into it there's so many rounds of notes there's so much really like small tiny minute things that can make or break a show and take something from being super basic or boring to like just like a work of art it's not just like, oh, well, it's shot and then we just press a button or, you know, spend a couple of days editing it. It is like a massive, massive undertaking. And so I think that would probably be if somebody was not in the industry can be a fly on the wall, they would probably be shocked to see what that process is like. Amazing. Now, what do you have in store for this next year? What exciting things do you have coming up? I am super stoked about this time, especially like you caught me at a time where I am just coming out of like a work coma where I have kept my head down. I've barely seen sunlight since like October. Wow. And I have um, a show, actually a couple of shows. So one show just launched earlier uh, last month and it's called Waco, an American Apocalypse it's on Netflix. It's a three-part docuseries about David Crush and the Branch Davidians and what happened in Waco in 1993 and those 51 days of basically like gunfire. And it's a story that has been told a million times. There have been lots of documentaries and articles and all kinds of stuff written about this cult and what happened in 93. But what makes our show so exciting is that it's a completely different perspective. Everything that I've ever seen in Waco has been the same people talking. It's the same footage that you always see, which is fine. Like it never gets old because it was such a huge event in in our history. But our story, we were able to uncover tons and tons of never before seen footage from news outlets and inside of the uh, negotiation room. It's told partly from the perspective of the FBI, partly or from the ATF and the FBI, and partly from the perspective of the people inside the compound at the time who have never spoken out before. Seeing fresh takes on this event was really, really fascinating. But also, you know, it's still timely because it calls up like the conversation of religious freedom and gun control in our country. So it's still very, very relevant. And so we're just really proud of that. We also have a show that just launched on USA and it's called Race Survive Alaska. And this is the show that's really like been consuming my time. It's like Honestly, I think it's a groundbreaking competition series about super high level athletes and survivalists who are racing across the Alaskan wilderness for half a million dollars. Wow. And it is brutal. Like, I think I can go as far to say that it is the hardest, the toughest competition that you've ever seen on TV. It's wild. So because of that, it tests people's limits, right? And even though it's a competition format, 
for me, it still scratches that itch because we're watching people do things that they didn't think they could do. We're watching people stretch themselves beyond what they thought they were capable of. And then my hope is that people watch this and say, I'm not doing that shit, but I am going to <laughs> do something. stretch my limits a little bit. Like if they can do that, like I can get up and speak in front of this room or I can go to back to school for this thing that I've always wanted to do. Or, you know, I can stand up to this person in my life or whatever it is. It's just giving people permission to step outside of their comfort zones in order to grow. And the show is not a very, it's not mean-spirited. It's not like riddled with conflict. There are natural conflicts that come up, but it's such an uplifting show. And the people, the cast all like really rallied together and like loved each other. And so that was something that I was just really, really proud of that we were able to make a show and had really great support from the network to make something that we could all be really, really proud of. So that airs on USA on Monday nights at 11. So you can watch it live or DVR, but please do watch because we want this to go to a season two and be able to keep making shows like this for as long as we can. That's exciting. Literally. As we wrap this up, what advice do you have for listeners? Well, for me specifically, and I don't know if this speaks to everybody who's listening, but I think this is my best piece of advice. I always, like from the time I was a kid, even through now, but like I kind of lived my life, especially knowing that I wanted to like work in the entertainment industry, which is a male-dominated industry. I created this identity where I was a little bit like I was, I put my masculine self forward, right? Like I led with my like masculine traits and I really dialed them up and I felt like I needed to be more like a dude in order to be respected, in order to get ahead, in order to be successful and all this stuff. So I dialed that up and I, you know, look, I think it served me well. But when I realized that if I kind of embraced <laughs> Some bigger parts of me that are extremely feminine and like nurturing and compassionate and all of these things. When I lean into like that kind of like motherly side of me as a leader, I went so much farther, so much faster. So my advice is don't shy away from who you are, like in your career, you know, lean into that because like, even if you feel like it's not, I can't go on set and be a mom. I have to go on set and be the fucking like, high-powered CEO, dude. You can do that and that's fine and you'll be successful. But, you know, open yourself up to the softer side of things and bring in your like feminine gift because people respond to that. People can smell when you're being inauthentic. So when you start kind of leaning into really who you are and like stop resisting so much, I think like things flow a little bit better and doors will start to open. And I was actually shocked. And then, sorry, one last piece of advice so basic like everybody's heard this a million times I think it's on t-shirts but like <laughs> really if you really trust your gut and actually like follow what your stomach is saying versus like what your head is saying it is amazing the opportunities that start kind of like flying in and that was something I would always be like oh I don't trust my gut because my instincts are wrong and like I would always close myself off to that and then I would overanalyze and I would my decision making was all based on like logic and reason and history. And now I'm just like, no, does this feel right in my gut? If it does, then I'm doing it, even if it defies all logic. And once I started doing that, I was like, holy shit, like life is all of a sudden easier and I'm making more money and things are going better for me. So listen to your instincts, kids. 
Kids, listen to your instincts. No, it's true. With any walk of life, that's what I always give for even on my on the resume rescue side. I'm like, you trust your gut on anything. I mean, there's a reason certain things happen and all of that with trusting your gut. So I agree with that piece of advice because it's so true. Meredith, you're incredible. I'm so excited to keep following you along on your journey. For those of you listening, if you want to follow Meredith or watch the series that she has um, that she talked about, you can head to the show notes and follow along. But Meredith, thank you so much for being a guest. And you've been incredible. Thanks, Angela. And thank you for what you do. You do such amazing work in this world. And and you do it with so much integrity. I wish you all the best of luck. Like, I'm really, really impressed by you. Thank you. And my cousin, Allison, who's like the best person in the world and works for you. Like, I just like love her so much. We do love Allison. So big shout out to Allison for connecting us. <laughs> but And you can head to other episodes that Allison has been on if you haven't listened already. But <laughs> thank you. And for those of you tuning in, tune in next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.